0: We've been fighting a long time, and we've all lost so very much, so many loved ones gone. But you are not alone. There are pockets of resistance all around the planet. Where is the brink? You have no idea. welcome everybody steve Cunningham with sense of Videlity. i'm coming at again with dr alan Femister of professor of theology was it at the diocese of denver i just lost it on there <laughs> <laughs> i know there's been two weeks since we have him on on the council so we're going to kick back up on the council of ephesus but doc thank you for coming back appreciate it thank you. so Council of Ephesus. We're leading okay. up. To, do we want to do a pre uh, a uh, kind of like a review at the beginning uh, of
1: the Recap. last one? Yeah, sure. Well, so the first Ecumenical Council is held in 325 in Nicaea um, to condemn Arianism, the heresy that denies the true divinity of our Lord Jesus Christ and uh, holds that He's only an, an angel. Uh, well, a sort of super powerful angel. Um, and uh, that that then led well led was followed by many decades of crisis in the church um as the arians and other heretics with similar errors who wanted to resist The definitions of the Council of Nicaea uh, try to wrestle control of the church back. And famously, at one point, it seemed as if only St. Athanasius, the patriarch of Alexandria, and the whole world was holding out for the true faith. So it's the the sort of defining famous crisis in the history of the church. And then uh, that that whole crisis came to an end in um, 380 when uh, the eastern half of the Empire was secured by the Emperor Theodosius who was a Latin, uh, his first language was Latin, uh, as opposed to the pe- most people in the East his first language was Greek and, uh, and he was a Catholic and he restored uh, the true faith in the East and uh, the Nicene party as it was called uh, triumphed and uh, he issued a decree Edict of Thessalonica in 380 making the Catholic faith, the religion of the entire Roman Empire and then um, uh, the following year a council was held in Constantinople called um, uh, uh, the first Council of Constantinople which is now counted as the second ecumenical council but for reasons uh, I went into a little bit last time, it mm-hmm. uh, wasn't seen as um, as, a, as an ecumenical council. So the word ecumenical council means a council of of the whole known world, or a council to which every bishop in the world is invited. And um, there were a number of still disputed points about who was the rightful Bishop of Antioch, and various things like that, um, which prevented the First Council of Constantinople being seen as ecumenical at the time. But the real problem with the First Council of Constantinople which is going to flow into the next two councils, which uh, you want us to discuss today, um, is uh, is that it, it made a claim for the, for Constantinople to be the second highest ranking church in the Catholic Church after Rome, and uh, and this was uh, quite quite an outrageous power grab. Rome never uh, okay. agreed to this, uh, never agreed to this claim. Well, at least it it did finally. Agree to Constantinople being ranked second in all uh, mm-hmm. of all the churches, but not until the year twelve hundred and fifteen. So it took it a very it resisted for a very <laughs> long time, and uh, the Council of Nicaea in in three two five had said that the highest ranking churches uh, in the Catholic Church are Rome, then Alexandria, and then Antioch, and these were very very ancient churches. Uh, Rome, obviously founded by Saint Peter and Saint Paul. Um, uh, Alexandria founded by Saint Mark but traditionally understood to have been sent there on, on instructions from Saint Peter uh, and so, so it was seen also as kind of a Petrine Sea mm-hmm. and Apioch was uh, founded by Saint Peter before he went to Rome so, so they were all seen as Petrine Seas in one way or another but, but it was clear that Rome was the place that was Peter's see par excellence, it was the place that, 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 that Paul and Peter had both died at and, uh, and the Bishop of Rome, uh, you know, made, made uh, much of being, being the successor of St. Peter, and we talked about, mm-hmm. about that this time. Um, uh, but not only, so not only was the position of second spot in the church already occupied by the Church of Alexandria, uh, which was very ancient and glorious, um, but the Bishop of Alexandria, Athanasius, had been the great heroic defender of, of the true faith, uh, through this long, wearying Aryan crisis, driven into exile five times, author of, uh, of immortal treatises on the divinity of Christ. And um, uh, whereas the Bishop of Bishop of Rome, po- Pope Liberius, at one point had sort of wobbled slightly, um, how badly he wobbled has never really been settled. But he's the first Pope in the history of the Church not to be venerated as a saint since St. Peter. So, so the... So the Sea of Rome uh, subsequently was clearly not entirely content with, uh, with Liberius's. You hate being
0: the trivia question, huh? You're, you're <laughs> now the trivia, yeah. <laughs>
1: um, and and the Sea of Constantinople had been occupied by a string of the most egregious heretics uh, during this period. So, uh, so and, and not only that, but um, but uh, back at the beginning of the century, uh, Constantinople, and, and in fact legally still was, a suffragan... Uh, See of the uh, Metropolitan of Heraclea, so it was in the lowest position on the ecclesiastical hierarchy, um, <clears throat> equivalent to the Bishop of Pueblo. I always point out to my, to my, uh, to my uh, <laughs> no offence to his, my Lord of Pueblo, but um, uh, but the, uh, um, but the uh, yeah. So it was some, um, uh, yes. So um, uh, it was very odd for Constantinople to suddenly claim to be the second-ranking church in the world. And, of course, the only reason it was doing it was because it was now the imperial capital in the eastern half of the empire. So it was claiming it on the basis of its secular eminence. Um, Although many centuries later, Constantinople claimed to have been founded by St Andrew, um, it wasn't making that claim at the time, or if it was every record of it having made the claims has been lost to history. So, so, uh, obviously, this horrendously offended the uh, the bishops of Alexandria, and uh, and they were um, and just the year before in the Edict of Thessalonica, uh, when um, the Emperor Theodosius defines what the Catholic faith is, he says that it's he says it's uh, they believe the one God in Trinity, you know, three three persons, one substance, um, but he says it, it's the faith delivered by Saint Peter um, to the to the Romans and now professed by the Pontiff Damasus. So this is very important. First official use of the title Pontifex to describe the Bishop of Rome, um, uh, which implicitly sort of gives him the senior position in the Roman state in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a very important moment. But he then goes on to say, "And by Peter of Alexandria, a man of apostolic holiness." Now, Peter of Alexandria was the successor of Saint Athanasius mm-hmm. as of Alexandria, because uh, Saint Athanasius had died just a few years earlier. So. So, so Alexandria is also mentioned as a kind of touchstone of orthodoxy in that decree. So, so it's all the more offensive and angering for, for Alexandria to find that just a year later, the see of, of of Constantinople, habitually occupied by heretics of no particular eminence, <laughs> should be should be trying to steal from the position in the universal church, and um, so this led to a big grudge. And, and this grudge uh, is kind of simmering in the background of the next two ecumenical councils. And, um, uh, and, and and the bishops of Alexandria took to jumping on the slightest whiff of unorthodoxy on the part of uh, of, of any bishop of Constantinople in order to remind everybody that, you know, uh, that they needed to put their money with, uh, with, this, with the doctrinal bank of uh, Alexandria and not... Uh, and not endanger their faith with with, with uh, the ever wobbly bishops of Constantinople. So, um, and sometimes this worked out, and sometimes it didn't. And Rome's uh, Rome's inclination was to back up Alexandria because mm. Rome was irritated at Constantinople's pretensions. Didn't like the suggestion that that, that Rome was only the top diocese in the world because because it was the capital of the world, mm. um, you know, as far as they were concerned, their eminence was to do with being founded by St. Peter, not to do with being the capital of the Roman Empire. Um, and um, and they, they felt, they, they were just also theologically more naturally sympathetic to where Alexandria was coming from. Um, they agreed with Alexandria about who the rightful bishop of Antioch was, whereas the, the, the bishops... Uh, in in Constantinople's part of the empire, were more inclined to back the other guy, and uh, they also um, they also had agreed about terminology during the Long Aryan Crisis with Alexandria, and had only grudgingly accepted some of the terminology which was preferred by the the the, the Orthodox bishops, mm-hmm. smaller Orthodox bishops. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in uh cappadocia which is a region near Constantinople in what's now turkey so so the um Saint basil and uh, saint Gregory Nazianzen, they had been they 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 were keen on using the term hypostasis uh, to describe what there is what there's three of in god and um so they they wanted and so in the end their terminology prevailed so they wanted they wanted to use the term usia which we normally translate as substance in mm-hmm. English mm-hmm. Or, or substantia in Latin mm-hmm. um, to uh, describe what God is one of um, so 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 when uh, when the council of Nicaea said that that, um, that the son and the father are usios, right that they're there of the same they are the same substance right mm-hmm. so that, that everyone agreed on that term. all the all the Nicians agreed on that term but the um, <clears throat> But the the disputed thing among the good guys was was what to describe God as being three of, so um, everybody agreed that God was um, that, that there were three persons in the Trinity, that that was a real distinction, that it wasn't just three masks or three modes of operation that God might adopt. That's a heresy called. Modalism, which their enemies like to accuse them of, and because the enemies of the Catholics like to accuse them of, of of being modalists and denying the real distinction between the three persons of the Trinity, the uh, the great Cappadocian Fathers Basil and Gregory they, they wanted um, they wanted to use the term hypostasis um, uh, to to make which to make it clear that um, that there was there really were three. In God, not not it wasn't just a sort of a, a, a mirage on our, on our part, uh-huh. uh, freeness in God, and uh, but the problem the problem that the Latins had with this is that hy- the word hypostasis, if you translate it literally into Latin, is hypo translates as sob uh-huh. and stasis translates as stance right so if you literally translate hypothesis into latin it comes out as substance which is the word that the latins use to translate usia so that's pretty useless in a latin perspective i mean god is 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 three substances in one substance which doesn't uh, which which just causes horrendous confusion and the um Alexandrians weren't very happy about it because uh, the Council of Nicaea had anathematized. Anathema is the highest penalty that the Church can impose on on a naughty person, and uh, and it's used as um, it's used in the council in the letter of Saint Paul to the Galatians. Um, he says if anyone shall preach to you a gospel different from that which you have received, let let him be anathema. And so so it's when it's used as a penalty against a her- a, a false doctrine uh it it it's implies that that false doctrine is a heresy that mm-hmm. it 's not just an error there 's this difference between a heresy and an error so an error is a is something which is wrong but uh is wrong because it 's kind of logically incompatible with what God has revealed mm-hmm. uh it 's not necessarily a, just a direct denial of what god's revealed um, and you don 't you 're not automatically excommunicated for being Bit for being in error, but if you're obstinately a heretic, that means you directly deny something which God directly reveals. Then you, your, your late sententiae automatically excommunicated. Yeah, so, so the use of anathema implies that we're talking it's the big leagues. It's a heresy that's being condemned here. I actually, told so, her,
0: I told a girl that on a date once. So, uh, for guys <laughs> going out, uh, you may not want to do that, but she asked. <laughs> how,
1: how did she react? I'm sorry. How did she react?
0: Ah, uh, it was it, we finished the dinner, so. Oh, well, that's <laughs> I don't, don't believe in immaculate conception. Well, oh, you're a heretic. Uh, you're, <laughs> she she taught at uh, Saint of all places. She taught at Saint Pius the tenth school, not <laughs> for the society, but it was named it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm like, Here's one of our teachers. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, much. sorry, I couldn't help myself. <laughs>
1: that's nice. Right. Um, so uh, the. Um, Yes, so uh, Council Nicaea had anath- is, is, is one of the things its anathematized anathematized a few things, but one of the things that anathematized if, if anyone shall say that the Son comes from any other usia or hypostasis than the Father, let them be anathema. So, so the, uh, the the Alexandrians, very loyal to Nicaea, they took that as treating those two words as being kind of equivalent, and they were kind of equivalent in in usage before the fourth century uh, among philosophers. Um, although philosophers usually use the word Usia, they didn't so often use the word hypostasis. But anyway, um but uh in the end uh the Latins and the Alexandrians agreed to use the word hypostasis in order to emphasize that there really are three there is there is there really are three in, in God. So and sometimes people translate the word hypostasis as person, but that's slightly misleading. The word person is really a translation of the Greek word prosopon, um which emphasizes you know the the personhood mm-hmm. uh, of the three divine persons, um, but the the word hypostasis exists to emphasise the that the, they really subsist the three divine persons. Mm-hmm. So in the end, um, the great uh, martyr and philosopher uh, Boethius, in the uh, sixth century, uh, he he was, he was a Latin. He uh, suggested that they translate hypostasis as subsistence. Hmm. Rather than substance, and that kind of solved the problem, really. Hmm. But uh, at the time, the Latins and the Alexandrians were sort of dragged into agreeing to this, and um, so which shows the sort of natural sympathy between the two of them. Mm -hmm. Saint Jerome famously said, uh, "In this word, hypostasis, poison lurks with honey." Um, (laughs) So he was uh, he was was very reluctant. Um, But in the end, he he was never
0: one for a loss of words.
1: (laughs) No, absolutely not. Yes, always. uh, He never never chooses a, a calming formulation when when a, an aggressive one will will do um, and uh, so um anyway so uh so yeah the in the the desire of Rome is to back uh, Alexandria if they can but they're they're not they're not willing to do that just at every time Alexandria walks into a bar in Constantinople and picks a fight so the um so they uh, the first instance of this problem uh, comes with Saint John Chrysostom who uh, at the very end of the century is made the Bishop of Constantinople. And and he happens to be made Bishop at the very same time as the Patriarch of uh, Alexandria, Theophilus, who was a no-nonsense sort of chap, was purging uh, Egypt of of originists. So so there was was a dispute among the monks of Egypt. Uh, Egypt was like... uh, Egypt was... uh, you know the sort of San Francisco of monks. You know they 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 all, all went there. Um, uh, go south, my son. And uh, <laughs> and the and the uh, so, so the um, everybody wants to go into the Egyptian desert and uh, and to be the um, uh, to be live out there the extreme ascetic life and all the great desert fathers. They're called. They're the earliest earlier sort of heroes of, of the ascetical tradition in, 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 in the church um, were all these amazing figures who lived um, lives of the most extreme austerity in the Egyptian desert and they were great backers of the Council of Nicaea and, um, and they were a huge help to Saint Athanasius and, um, but at the end of the century there was a dispute because some of them uh, were quite keen on the writings of Origen this uh, heretical but very erudite and very prolix theologian from the 3rd century who'd been excommunicated by the bishops of Alexandria and Rome and had to uh, live live out his life in uh, Palestine um, uh, and some of them were some of them were very opposed to origin and uh, and and I think as I mentioned last time it had just come up that uh, that this sort of dispute about origin had been simmering for a long time. It was kind of behind the original dispute about Arius and it had sort of been put to one side during the great Arian controversy when you know people didn't want to start fights mm-hmm. um, unnecessarily with people who were sympathetic to the cause of the Council of Nicaea. Um, so so it's a bit like you know in the 80s and 90s you know everybody Who agreed that condoms were bad Mm -hmm. agreed not to have too many fights with each other in order to try and uh, you know prevent the clap complete collapse of uh, of, and and, and this this weird thing about condoms became the kind of the touchstone of of whether or not you were broadly a goody or broadly a baddie (laughs) in ecclesiastical controversy And, and people didn't tend to look too much Under the rock to see what the rest of the person's theology might be, while they were all (laughs) fighting on the same side. Um, So it was a bit like that with Nicaea and Origen. So, so um, uh, Bishop Eustathius of 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 Antioch um, had had tried to kind of hunt down the Originists after Nicaea, but he was, uh, but he he was he was driven into exile shortly thereafter. and, And and after that, the whole thing was sort of sort of left to one side until the Arian controversy was settled. Uh, in three eight one, and then everyone got back to the to the to the big, the, the concealed fight under the under the visible fight, <laughs> and um, and uh, and this led eventually to a purge of the originist monks in Egypt by uh, Theophilus, and to the condemnation of Origen's writings by Pope Anastasius at the at the end of the century. So in fact, Anastasius quite funny his condemnation. He says, "I condemn." Uh, I've been reading a lot of books by this this origin fellow recently, and I condemn everything that he's written, uh, that I've read, and also everything that he's written that I haven't read, I condemn as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> so he was convinced, uh, pretty negative at that point. It caused a huge row, surprise, surprise, between St. Jerome and his childhood friend, Rufinus. They were both living in the Holy Land, and uh, uh, both had uh, founded monasteries there, And uh, Jerome had been quite interested in Origin because he was like a huge intellectual figure, Um, but he had he had decided once this once the sort of question of how sound or unsound is this guy really had come up, uh, Jerome had concluded that Origin was definitely not sound and had, uh, had had come down very much on the side of. Of condemning him, and Rufinus didn't like this and didn't agree, and, uh, and Jerome turned on him pretty viciously, and Rufinus uh, fled. The, Jerome won, as he, as he d- usually did, and Rufinus, uh, Rufinus <laughs> fled to the Holy Land and went back to um, went back to the Latin West. They were both from Pannonia; they were from the same town, they were from <laughs> from the Roman province of Pannonia, which is now Hungary, basically, but, but there weren't any Hungarians there at the time, of course. So he's probably, say it quietly in case there are any Hungarians listening, he was probably (laughs) ethnically Albanian, but uh, but anyway, um, uh, in modern terms. But anyway, so, um, uh, yes, so uh, this big controversy was raging, and Theophilus was making a big deal out of hunting down all the originists, and there was a bunch of originist uh, monks who who were not happy about this, didn't want to give in, and they fled Egypt, and they were called the Tall Brothers, or the Tall Brethren. Mm Mm-hmm. And they 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 fled to Constantinople now uh, just in time for Saint. John Chrysostom, who was actually a priest from the from uh, Antioch, but he was a very very famous preacher and uh, the emperors decided that they'd quite like to have him as the, their local bishop because he was so famous they wanted a celebrity so uh, they they sort of summoned him outside Antioch and then sort of whisked him away in a carriage before the people of Antioch could object <laughs> and he was made the Bishop of Constantinople and um, so, um, uh, so they're all. Uh, so he's off there in Constantinople, and then these these tall brethren turn up, and it's it's a really nasty situation for Saint John Chrysostom because because he doesn't want to um, uh, anger the Alexandrians who are extremely touchy, um, <laughs> and uh, but he doesn't want to be. The tall brethren think that the patriarch of Alexandria has been very harsh with them, and. Patriarchs of Alexandria were not averse to being quite harsh. They seem to have had a sort of legion of, of special forces monks who went around and did their bidding and made sure that, that people uh, people um, did as they were told. And uh, so, so Chrysostom decides to... He gives them a disused church that they can stay in, in Constantinople, but he doesn't allow them to receive communion uh, from his clergy. So he doesn't... Um, he doesn't in any way set aside the judgment of the Patriarch of Alexandria, mm-hmm. but he also is clearly being nice to these tall brethren, and he um, he also doesn't want to um, he doesn't want to he's sort of leaving it open for some kind of ecumenical council or something, some more definitive judgment than the judgment of the Patriarch of Alexandria, and that's that's. Enough to drive Theophilus into apoplexies, and also Theophilus sees it as a as an opportunity to take down another bishop, of Constantinople. So he he goes off to um, uh, to Constantine and arranges a synod uh, to depose Saint John Chrysostom, and uh, it's a huge hoo ha, and the legality of the synod is all in question, and and the emperor and the empress have been horribly offended by Saint John Chrysostom anyway because he keeps preaching about their luxurious lifestyles and how bad they are, and and, um, and uh, so, uh, it's a long story, which is not really our story today, but in the end, poor old John Chrysostom dies in exile, and, um, but Rome gets very annoyed about, about it and says that, that Chrysostom didn't do anything wrong, and um, so in the end, Alexandria very grudgingly uh, um, accepts that Chrysostom was an okay guy. Um, some, some years later, um, but, but uh, so there's already been one misfiring, as it were, of this rivalry between Alexandria and Constantinople, in which Rome is grudgingly compelled to take the side of Constantinople instead of the side of Alexandria. So that's kind of the background.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, so what happens then is in, is in 428, another priest from Antioch, is appointed as patriarch, of Const- sorry, bishop of Constantinople at this point, um, uh, uh, called Nestorius, and um, now Nestorius uh, has, has um, he comes from a sort of theological tradition uh, centered on Antioch, um, which is very keen to preserve and defend the reality of our Lord's humanity. And in the course of doing that, they tend to be a little bit too incautious about uh, emphasising that our that our Lord really is God. Right? I mean, it's not they wouldn't they wouldn't deny that He's God. They certainly don't deny that the second person of the Trinity is truly, fully God and co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. What they what they tend to fall into is talking as if as if Jesus of Nazareth is one guy. And the second person of the Trinity is another guy. Ah. And uh, um, uh, a Dominican once described Nestorian to me as Nestorianism uh, as as the doctrine that Jesus of Nazareth is a very close personal friend of the second person of the Trinity. <laughs> and that is something of a caricature, but but it it, it gets close to that. Yeah. And they talk quite a lot about the man Jesus, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and as if he was a different a different subject. To the eternal word, mm-hmm. and um, and yeah, it's it's not. Some of them, when you really kind of s- sort of dig down into what they're saying, you can kind of s- sort of defend them as not really intending to say anything heretical.
0: Yeah,
1: but some of them, it just gets worse the, the deeper you dig. And uh, <laughs> so anyway, so Nestorius is, is brought along to Constantinople, and um, and. Uh, shortly after he arises a controversy uh, erupts um, about the title uh, Theotokos Theotokos, um, which is uh, Greek for Mm God-Bearer it's usually translated in in English and Latin as Mother of God Mm -hmm. but technically it should be God-Bearer but it it means the same thing Dei Para, the one who gave birth to God right? Mm -hmm. Um, and um, initially uh, he gets a friend of his uh, called Dorotheus, bishop of somewhere else, uh, to give a sermon in the cathedral in Constantinople in which he denounces the use of the title Theotokos and, and then he he, he also pre- ends up preaching a couple of sermons himself huh. um, which he also objects to Theotokos And but the, 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 the defining incident is this uh, is, is the time when he gets his friend to preach the sermon in his presence and the, the congregation and uh, some of the clergy erupt and storm out of the cathedral, and you know, sort of blocking their ears from the blasphemy, right? Um, and what's at stake here really is is what's called the communication of idioms. It's a, it's a doctrine called communication of idioms, which is um, which it becomes a kind of test for whether you really believe in the incarnation. Mm. Um, so there's a lot of confusion at this time, as as we've just discussed with this thing about the the use, the meaning of the word hypostasis. There's a lot of confusion about terminology. And exactly what terminology we're going to use, and, and what might be confusing, and what's just outright wrong, and what's just not really helpful, and and all that sort of thing hasn't really been settled yet. That's the sort of thing that gets settled over the course of the first ecumenical councils. Um, but so so the real uh, so so a lot of people can say things which don't fit with what other perfectly orthodox people are saying because they mean different things by the terminology. Um, but uh, so the real test is is this doctrine of the communication of idioms. So whether or not you can say something about our Lord, uh, which is true of him because he's divine, but call him God, or say sorry, so but call him man, or all vice versa. Whether you can say something about him which is true of him only because he's God, but call him man, or whether you can say something about him which is true of him only because he's man, but call him God. So for example, can you say? Um, a two-month-old child uh, held the universe in being or or can you say uh, um, God bled on the cross right
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, if you're willing to say those things then you're you're Orthodox you're a Catholic um, if you if you're kind of squirming and, and you, you really don't want to say it and you want to either you refuse to say it outright or you put all sorts of caveats on it um, then that's a very bad sign. That's a sign that you're, you're, you do, you don't really believe that Jesus is God the Son. You think that they're, they're just very closely associated. Um, and uh, so the um, uh, by this point, um, the Bishop of Alexandria, since 412, had been uh, a relative of Theophilus's, uh, St. Cyril. Um, and St. Cyril was also as robust as Theophilus, possibly a little bit more... Um, good-natured than Theophilus, but definitely not not willing to compromise and very suspicious of what Constantinople might be up to at any given point. And um, and St. Cyril was determined to bring down Nestorius, so he, he quickly writes some letters, preaches against what Nestorius has been saying and writes letters to Nestorius, demanding that he withdraw these positions. And uh, and a huge row erupts, and, and the 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 people in Antioch want to defend their guy against Cyril, and um, and eventually uh, the Emperor calls an ecumenical council in uh, in four three one, the Council of Ephesus, and um, uh, now th- at this point the Council of Ephesus is is actually the second ecumenical council because. Uh, this was because of the fact that, that the status of, of the First Council of Constantinople is unclear.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, when it was held, the Council of Ephesus was the second ecumenical council, but later on, Constantinople gets listed as one of the ecumenical councils by the fourth ecumenical council, which thereby becomes, makes Ephesus the third one, and makes itself the fourth one. So, when when the fourth one was convened, it was actually the third one. But by the time it was confirmed, it was the fourth one, because one of the things it did was list uh, Constantinople I as the second one, thereby making it supplying for its deficiencies when it was actually held. Um, but uh, now, uh, so after all of this controversy, uh, it became the terminology all became settled, and we agreed that, uh, that you know there's, there's one usia, or substance in God, three hypostases, or persons, um, in uh, in God, uh, that that there is there's two natures or fuses in uh, Christ, um, and um, uh, and one person and one hypostasis in Christ. So what really mattered essentially is that we all agree that whatever God is one of, Jesus is two of, and whatever God is three of, Jesus is one of. And and uh, the actual terminology wasn't quite so important, uh, but obviously we did need to fix it to prevent sort of confusion and chaos, and. One of the, uh, the big problems that, that, that plagued the church uh, for, you know, getting on for, you know, 1700 years or something now, uh, about this is that um, another heresy had arisen just before the First Council of Constantinople. A heresy called Apollinarianism, mm-hmm.
0: uh,
1: produced by this guy called Apollinaris of Laodicea. And this heresy is was about um, how the incarnation works. So the uh um and and it, it what Apollinaris taught was that, that that human nature is made of three bits. There's the mind at the top, and then there's the soul that animates the body, you see what I mean, and then there's the body at the bottom. Okay. Um and uh, so he uh he thought that the, the way the incarnation worked is that God had kind of taken one human nature with these three three sections, as it were. And he unscrewed the top bit, the mind or the noose, and he kind of chucked that away. And he screwed the eternal logos into the into the socket, as it were, where the uh, where the where the mind would have been. Mm-hmm. So instead of Jesus of Nazareth being um, mind, soul, body, he was. Uh, Logos, soul, body, right? Now, uh, so so this is false, um, and uh, it would mean that our Lord wasn't truly, fully human,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, and it was uh, it was condemned uh, at the council, first council of Napa. Also condemned at a synod held in Alexandria by Saint Athanasius. But the problem was that Saint Athanasius was a friend of Apollinaris of Laodicea, and uh, and it was it was part of this same phenomenon. The you know the don't look under the rock. We all agree that we hate condoms phenomenon. I mean that Apollinaris had been fighting the good fight against the Arians, and, and 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 Athanasius hadn't really checked carefully. What he said on other subjects, so it was a bit embarrassing for Athanasius. His <laughs> pal of his turned out to be somewhat dodgy uh, towards the very end of, of, of the Arian controversy, and uh, and and the, the the supporters of Apollinaris were very disappointed because they thought Athanasius was you know pals with their guy and and that he was supporting them, and um, so uh, um, they seem to have uh, the Apollinarians seem to have reacted to this. By uh, forging a bunch of works by Athanasius, in which he uh, in which he endorses Apollinaris' position, and just sort of distributing them. Mm. I mean, this was a notorious problem in the ancient world. Naughty theological forgeries were were all over the place, and um, so the um, uh, so uh, most of these were identified as fake and and discarded by by the, by the uh, the Catholics. Um, but one or two of them snuck through and it was made a little bit more difficult because of the fact that Athanasius habitually used to refer to you know we, we talk about in, in, in the prologue of John's gospel talk about how the word became flesh right mm-hmm. um, and we talk about the flesh, Saint Paul all the time talks about the flesh as, as, as a term meaning human nature mm-hmm. he doesn't by, hu- uh, by flesh mean just the body he means human nature, he's just naming human nature by its lower Element, if you see what I mean, um, and uh, so, but Athanasius would actually quite often refer to the human nature as the body, soma, rather than sarx, which is the, the Greek word for flesh, mm-hmm. and so, so it, you could easily misinterpret Athanasius as, as, um, as referring to, uh, referring as as having the same views as Apollinaris, I mean, but we know he didn't because he he makes it clear in various places, uh, and especially once it became clear what Apollinaris was teaching, realised that he had to be more precise in his language to avoid this problem. Um, but anyway, one of these works, at least fake works of Athanasius, snuck through, and it contained in it this term, this description of, of, of our Lord, uh, uh, the Lord's human, well, yeah, it, it, it referred to the the one incarnate nature of the Logos, or the one nature of the word incarnate, right? Um and, and using this word for nature, fusis, right, and, and, th- and the exact meaning of that word hadn't been settled yet. And um, it's clear from the way other people in Alexandria use it, that they mean by that word fusis, that, that we we would use translate nature. They mean more what, uh, what we might mean by hypostasis or subsistence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's probably another reason why they weren't very happy about the use of the word hypostasis, right, because they had a different set of terminology worked out, but they were trying to say the same stuff. Um, but the, the result was that some, uh, that St. Cyril was very reluctant to agree to a description of uh, our Lord as having two natures, that there was a divine fusis and a, and a human fusis in Christ, even though he definitely believed that, and if if you look carefully through his writings, it's clear he thinks that our Lord was fully divine and fully human, and he remained fully divi- fully human after the human nature was assumed by uh, the divine person of the Word. And um, but but Cyril didn't um, but he didn't want to use the term two natures after the Union because it sounded like it was contradicting what he thought was Athanasius but was actually this Apollinarian forger and um, and the reason why he didn't want to contradict Athanasius or to allow any aspersions to be cast on that formulation was because Athanasius was their guy. The, the fact that Athanasius held on to the true faith through this terrible crisis was like the number one uh, prestige fact about the Sea of Alexandria and and, and what they had over everybody else even to a to a certain extent because of the wobbly Pope Liberius even over the Bishop of Rome Um, and so that they didn't uh, so that they were very nervous about he he didn't want to give up on that formulation Uh, but it was kind of a bit of an albatross around his neck and in fact it wasn't really ever said by Athanasius in the first place so um, Yes so so he arrives at Ephesus and uh, so so Nestorius appeals to Rome uh, uh so the people have been horrible about me about this theotokos business Rome is not interested Rome is definitely on Cyril's side the term theotokos is definitely true and correct and good and and they were already very suspicious about Nestorius because they've been dealing with the Pelagian heresy mm-hmm. um uh, the, the heresy in the west that um that people are, uh, can earn their salvation by their own work, works uh, apart from grace and uh, the Pelagians have been sort of driven out of the West and uh, their stories have given them refuge in Constantinople and uh, he hadn't immediately backed up the Western condemnation of them and was kind of asking for details and things and this was very much irritating the Pope who uh, he didn't like this at all and there's probably a connection in fact that usually is Nestorianism is a very big heresy nowadays. Mm-hmm. Lots of liberal clergy are, are quite clearly Nestorians, you hear all the time in sermons, and they're also Pelagians. So those two heresies do tend to go together, and and probably the reason for that is that uh, in holding what's really a, a kind of just a moral union between Jesus of Nazareth and uh, the Eternal Logos, you're basically saying that that that, that what makes the difference between uh, Jesus and other good men is that he's sort of chosen and predestined uh, to be um, to be conformed to the eternal logos, whereas whereas other men are just struggling to be conformed to the eternal logos by their own works. So mm-hmm. in fact, the thing that, that that Nestorius and Nestorians try to make be the difference between Jesus and other good men is no difference at all because because everybody else is saved by grace and by God's decree of divine predestination as well um, so so in order to make it, uh, in order to disguise the fact that, uh, that they really just think that Jesus is a very good man uh, they have to deny uh, the primacy of grace in regard to uh, other human beings as well. So um, so the, um, uh, yeah so um, so, Rome was already predisposed to be suspicious and hostile towards Nestorius. They, they were very much convinced that Our Lady is indeed Mother of God, and were not happy. And so they wrote to Cyril and said, Yep, Cyril, you're absolutely on the money. Go get him, lad. And uh, they sent to, uh, they sent to uh, legates to um, to formally preside at the Council of Ephesus. But they also said that Cyril, they already found against Nestorius and declared him deposed. And, they, they, uh, and the Bishop of Rome, Pope Celestine, Um, uh, he endowed Cyril with the authority to uh, enforce the judgment of deposition. So Cyril's like, got a piece of paper from the Pope Mm -hmm. saying go and get this Nestorius guy, he's got two legates and now, we haven't got a map here, but if you looked on the map you'd see Ephesus is actually quite a bit closer to Antioch than it is to Alexandria. Mm -hmm. But uh, but Alexandria is a port, a very very big port, Mm -hmm. uh, the biggest port in the ancient world. and and so is ephesus so uh, so uh, Cyril and his egyptian bishops and his uh, special forces bodybuilder monks were all able to get to uh, ephesus faster than the bishops from the patriarchate of antioch so the council was due to begin on the 7th of june um uh, uh, 431 and um Cyril was a few days late, like a week or so late, but the the Antiochians were were another week and a bit late again. So Cyril gets there, and the the bishops of Antioch, who are kind of not keen on Nestorius' condemnation and want to put his side of the argument, they're not there yet. And, uh, And Cyril's like, well, I've got a piece of paper from the Pope. The bishops of Antioch haven't turned up, but the legates are here. I'm in charge. I think we've got enough bishops already. Thank you very much. Bang! Session number one, and uh, so he <laughs> he opens everything up. Uh, Nestorius is condemned. Nestorius refuses to participate. He's very annoyed because his guys haven't turned up. Um, Nestorius is condemned. Uh, all the all the great truths of the faith um uh, which he's denied are, are solemnly defined and um when Cyril has in the meantime before the council started come up with these wonderful 12 anathemas which are which are a, a list of solemn condemnations of Nestorius's favorite doctrines and formulations um uh, deliberately formulated in the most the, the way to be most offensive to <laughs> Nestorius and anyone who uh, who admires and follows him um climaxing with the magnificent um magnificent, Uh, let's see if I can find it, anathema, Um, where is it, Ephesus 12, anathema, where have you gone, Uh, here we go, so the last one is, if anyone does not confess that the word of God suffered in the flesh, and was crucified in the flesh, and tasted death in the flesh, and became the firstborn of the dead, Although as God he is life and life-giving, let him be anathema. So that kind of they kind of build up to that one. There's mm-hmm. like like it's, and, and it's, it's the same thing as happened at Nicaea. They they looked around for something which the Arians would definitely not accept, mm-hmm. so that they get rid of them. And, uh, and and so they didn't want any sort of ambiguous ambiguous you know ecumenical joint statement sort of nonsense. there. <laughs> what they wanted was uh, straight to the they point. Wa- Clarity. Yes. Um, uh, cut along the dotted line. Discard, uh, <laughs> etc. Um, and um, uh, so then John of Ephesus, sorry, John of Antioch, turned up at Ephesus, and he, he was the Patriarch of Antioch, and he was like, "What's going on?" And they're like, "Oh yeah, we're pretty much finished. It's just like you know, we're having a coffee break, and then there's going to be a little speech by the mayor of Ephesus, and then we're all going home." <laughs> 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 so. so he was absolutely livid. Uh, wouldn't accept it. Uh, convened his own bishops as a sort of rival council. And uh, but but um, but the papal legates were happy with what Cyril had done, and Cyril had his bit of paper from the Pope. So that was the end of that. And the emperor was persuaded to uh, drive Nestorius off into exile. So Nestorius lived lived out his life. In an oasis in the Egyptian desert, <laughs> um, uh, uh, a sadder but not a wiser man, and um, and the uh, so so I mean that all seemed pretty good, really. Um, uh, but of um, course, the problem was, of course, that that now uh, Rome and Alexandria and Constantinople, who now had a new uh, uh, Catholic non-Nestorian bishop, were um were in uh, in 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 schism with uh, with the see of Antioch the, because the bishop of Antioch was furious about the, the manner in which proceedings have been undertaken, but all was not lost. Cyril was uh, quite a good-natured guy and uh, so uh, in 433 he uh, eventually concluded an agreement with the uh, Bishop of Antioch uh, called the Formulary of Reunion in which uh, they worked out a way of, of agreeing to the same way of expressing um, the uh, the incarnation. Uh, they said that, that Christ was, was one person of two natures um, and therefore uh, therefore, they managed to reconcile themselves now that that, that formulation was completely legit but um, it was ambiguous and therefore was kind of really just a sort of in a way a ticking time bomb um... Uh, and and as these kind of ecumenical statements are, I mean John of Ephesus was definitely orthodox. He was reluctant about condemning Nestorius, mm-hmm. but he appreciated in the end that Nestorius had said things in a way that was unacceptable and, and that he had to be uh, cut loose and uh, and so um, but the problem was saying that that Christ was one person of two natures mm-hmm. um, could be taken to mean that he used to be two natures, as it were, there were two natures and then there weren't. Mm-hmm. I mean, after the incarnation um, and so so really it was quite ambiguous and and partly that's because um Cyril was still you know concerned not to undercut this formulation one nature of the uh word incarnate um and so uh but things were settled, uh, at least ecclesiastically. Um, the Bishop of Antioch was back in communion with Rome and Alexandria and Constantinople. And then uh, Saint Cyril died in the year 444, and he was succeeded by uh, this guy Dioscorus. And Dioscorus was another bruiser who was uh, who was uh, again like his predecessors on the lookout for any opportunity to expose another heretical bishop of Constantinople, but. Um, but it it, uh, it 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 went wrong. they misfired this time, just like with uh, Chrysostom. So, um, in uh, in 448, uh, the the bishop of Constantinople, whose name was Flavian. He uh, heard that there was this elderly sort of uh, abbot, effectively, called Eutyches, the Archimanderite, who lived in, in Constantinople and who was very enthusiastic supporter of the Alexandrian cause in all of these controversies. And, um, but he wasn't the sharpest pencil in the box. And he was keen to sort of sound off about this guy's a heretic and that guy's a heretic and, God, people who say this drive me crazy. But he wasn't exactly entirely, really, didn't always know completely what he was talking about. (laughs) And, you know, the the more sort of, uh, the more well-informed um Alexandrians would sort of cringe slightly when they heard him say uh, say this, that or the other. He wasn't quite getting it He'd right. He'd be
0: perfect for Twitter this time of year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind
1: of and um so it got back to uh, Flavian that um Eutyches was saying some kind of questionable stuff. And uh, and so he was eventually hauled up in front of Flavian to be investigated. And uh, and they said um they said, uh, it sounded, I mean, it's hard to give a, a full picture of what Eutychius held, because it sounds like he was just a bit confused, and so it doesn't all make complete sense anyway. But um, uh, but he seems to have held something that certainly tended towards the idea that, that that Jesus' human nature was just sort of absorbed into his divine nature and sort of disappeared, right? So, so it's... it's it's very important to hold, and this is, as I mentioned, it's it's a absolutely rampant heresy in the church nowadays. Is the idea that that really there are two different people here? Mm-hmm. In fact, a lot of liberals they don't really believe that there's three persons in the Trinity. They're essentially really modalists. Mm-hmm. They, they think that this is our way of thinking about God, and it isn't really how God is in Himself. And then, and then on top of that, they think that um, that there's uh, that that uh our Lord is um, our Lord is God's expression of himself to the world and he's like God's masterpiece and, and all this kind of thing and, and, and they don't really think that he is God, right? Um, and, and one of the uh, one of the signs, some of the theologians, the Antiochian theologians who were dodgy and, and lay behind Nestorius' views, uh, one of the signs of, of this heresy is that they attribute positive ignorance of our, to our Lord. You know that he was wrong about a number of different things. Mm-hmm. That's immediately a screaming sign that the person in question is is actually a Nestorian. Um, uh, so so uh, in fact, uh, centuries later, Saint Gregory the Great, uh, he said. Uh, uh, now, how does he put it? It's a complicated negative formulation. He said, uh, uh, "Anyone who is an agnoid cannot but be an Nestorian, Right, and, and an agnoid is someone who attributes ignorance to our Lord. Right, and, and that's very, very common. Mm-hmm. And. Um, uh, and, and people people don't like that, right? Because they don't they want women priests, and they want homosexual acts to be the most natural thing in the world, and uh, you know you name it. They want they want uh, anthropogenic global warming to be directly revealed by God, and uh, etc. Et and and so they they um, they don't want Jesus of Nazareth to just be God. Right, because because then the fact that he didn't have any female apostles means that you know it wasn't an oversight on his part because he's God. He doesn't have oversights, right? So they, so they want to say that Jesus God in some very watered down sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's some, uh, for example, the uh, extremely dubious Swiss theologian Hans Urs von Balthasar in his work on uh, "Dare We Hope That All mm-hmm. May Be Saved." Uh, he says. Um, he says. Uh, he tries to imply that our Lord kind of didn't really get it before the resurrection. You know, he, he says that. He says that. Yeah, all that's the nasty stuff about lots of people going to hell. He sort of said that mostly before the resurrection, and all the nice, friendly stuff he said that after the resurrection. I don't know where he gets this from. There's no footnotes <laughs> to prove this, this claim. <laughs> I and, wonder why. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, and he uh, elsewhere in his commentary on the Apostles' Creed, he says, you know, uh, there seems no reason to deny. That, uh, that our Lord was ignorant of many of the details of his approaching passion, whatever the evangelists might tell us. And you're like, what? Hang on. Eh? <laughs> um, and, uh, but this is a way of escaping the normativity of our Lord's teaching, right? Um, uh, is to say that he's he's just a a really well, you know, he's a very clo- as I said before, a very close personal friend, the second person of the Trinity. They're BFF. Um, so say, so, They're BFF. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, um so all of this, you know, is is uh, is uh, it's tremendously important, obviously, to assert that there's one divine person of of, of the eternal Logos. And um, uh, I'm just getting my Bible here. Um, uh, Saint Cyril uh, sees it as like not just any old heresy. I mean, they're all pretty terrible heresies, but but he sees this as kind of a particularly sort of associated with the Antichrist heresy. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he's thinking of. Um, Particularly of uh, the first epistle of Saint John, chapter four. I if I can find it, uh, where? Um, where are you? Sorry, uh, Jude John. Here we are. Oh no, it's the apocalypse. Wrong order. Okay, come on, Foster. Uh, Sorry about this. Man, we're Sorry. Catholic. Hey? Everyone
0: should understand this.
1: <laughs> uh, it's also very thin Bible paper, so I keep skipping past things. Okay, here we are, chapter four. Um, Dearly beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits if they be of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. By this is the spirit of God known. Every spirit which confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God, mm-hmm. and every spirit that dissolveth Jesus is not of God, and this is Antichrist, of whom you have heard that he cometh. Right? Okay. So, so does. So those two verses are very important, right, because he says Jesus Christ is come in the flesh, right, which is implying that it's the person Jesus Christ has existed from all eternity, Mm -hmm. and he is now come in the flesh. Mm -hmm. It's not that there was the word of God, and then he kind of made... A uh, 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 something to represent him, which we call Jesus Christ, right mm-hmm. on earth. A um, uh, Jesus Christ has existed from all eternity, and he is now coming in the flesh. Um, it's the same person, the same subject, and uh, and then uh, and then there's this. Uh, modern translations often don't translate it this way. But uh, and then the next verse: Every spirit that dissolveth Jesus is not of God, and that's what um, and that's what uh, Cyril thought uh, considered that. Um, Nestorius was doing, he was dissolving Jesus into two different persons, and it, and, and it's not uh, I mean, Nestorius's error is, is expressed in a number of different ways, sometimes he talks as if there's two different persons, uh, the, the eternal logos and Jesus of Nazareth, sometimes he talks as if there's like a third person, of the, the incarnate person, which is kind of a joint person created by the squishing together of, of the eternal word and, and Jesus of Nazareth, but either way it's kind of dissolving the yeah, yeah. uh, the unity, the the divine person of uh, because Jesus is not a human person, uh, he is a divine person with a human nature. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, yes. Be sure I
0: um, get that right.
1: <laughs> yes. Uh, so the um, so he uh, so anyway, so so Flavian hauls in this guy. Um, Utiquis. Utiquis seems to be saying that the human nature was swallowed up in the divine nature, and that only the divine nature survives the union. And um, uh, and they keep trying to pin him down, and it's quite difficult to pin him down. Some t- usually it's difficult to pin heretics down because they're slippery mm-hmm. um, uh, characters. But in the case of Utiquis, it looks like it's because he was a confused character. But anyway, but he um, he. Uh, they, they 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 eventually get him to admit, very grudgingly, that just as uh, Jesus is homoousios of one substance with the Father, so he is homoousios with his mother. That is, he is of the same nature mm-hmm. as his mother, um, and uh, and he doesn't really like that, and he do- he doesn't um, he doesn't want to um, anathematize anyone who denies that. And so ultimately, Flavian decides. Right, you're basically a heretic, and he condemns Eutyches. Now, Dioscorus hears about this. I don't know if he heard a garbled account or if he just was so keen to condemn any bishop of Constantinople as a heretic that he didn't bother reading it properly or what. Um, But but he Dioscorus hears about it, and he he's like, yes, right, great, Eutyches is our man, and Flavian is a wicked heretic. Yay! Uh, um, uh, One more one more notch. Um, on on the crazy uh, we're we're, going to take down one more uh, um, uh, patriarch or bishop of Constantinople and um, so he persuades the emperor Theodosius II uh, to uh, summon another ecumenical council in 449 again in Ephesus the second council of Ephesus and uh, so he turns up with all his chaps and, uh, and he, he writes to the Pope and says, you know, oh this is great, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna deal with this another heretical patriarch of Constantinople. But uh, the Pope, by this time St. Leo the Great, he's like, yeah, it sounds like Flavian's pretty much right here. And he writes a letter to Flavian uh, in which he lays down exactly what the true doctrine is. Um, very, very clear, nice, chipped Latin terminology, um, uh, uh, you know, uh, one person in two natures, um, uh, three persons in one substance, etc., etc., it's all very clear. And, um, and, he, uh, um, and uh, so they held this council in Ephesus, and um, Darsus sort of seizes control of the council, but he doesn't have a, a bit of paper from the Pope entitling him to seize control of the council. The Legates, as I think I mentioned last time, are a bit confused. Uh, their Greek isn't great. They're not really sure what's going on, and um, and uh, and dascus is kind of yelling at Flavian of Constantinople and condemning him as a heretic and vindicating Eutyches, and he won't let any he won't let the legates read out the letter to Flavian because he's had a peek at the letters of Flavian. He realizes it doesn't support his position, um, and uh, and eventually the legates see poor old Flavian being dragged off and beaten up by some of these monks that uh, that, that has brought with him, and. Um, and uh, they shout out the papal veto at the last moment. Uh, they're vetoing the dec- the uh, decrees of the Second Council of Ephesus, which ends up being known as the Lactrocinium, the robber synod, or the brigandage, mm-hmm. because it usurped the name of an ecumenical council without having a true right to it. So um, Leo the Great is furious. Flavian dies of his injuries uh, Leo is is heavily lobbying the Emperor to summon another council preferably in Italy um, uh, in order to uh, in order to sort this out uh, um, Theodosius ii doesn't the Emperor doesn't want to call another council he doesn't want the embarrassment of having called a dud ecumenical council so he wants to stick with uh, with um, Ephesus 2 but fortunately, uh, he falls off his horse and dies um, in a freak riding accident, and so his sister Pulcheria, um, uh, marries uh, an eminent soldier um, uh, called uh, Marcian, um, and uh, and they become uh, they become uh, co-emperors basically, um, and she is more sympathetic to uh, the Pope's position, and so she summons another council not to the Pope's disappointment in Italy, but in Chalcedon, which is just across. Uh, the Bosphorus from Constantinople. Uh, it's um, it's sort of Newark to Constantinople's New York, <laughs> um, and uh, and uh, so they, they they summon the council of ecumenical council of Newark, and uh, and the um, and uh, and um, Leo the uh, Leo the Greats uh, Doscarus is condemned and deposed, and uh, Flavian is vindicated, albeit he's dead, and uh, Leo. Um, Leo the Great's tome, his letter to Flavian, is read out and mm-hmm. the eternal embarrassment of the Orthodox uh, with a big O, uh, mm-hmm. the bishops uh, shout out Peter has spoken through the mouth of Leo um, uh, when, the, when the tome is read out and um, so uh, this appears to resolve the question but um, there's a sort of um, uh, fly in the ointment um, unfortunately which is that once again well A. Um, uh, Chalcedon lists the previous ecumenical councils and it sneaks in the First Council of Constantinople um, and uh, and B. Uh, it repeats uh, uh, in its own right the claim that Constantinople is number two church in the world after Rome and uh, so, so this is going to be a very bitter pill for the Church of Alexandria to bear that their patriarch should be deposed uh, and that the, uh, the, the the now late patriarch of Bishop of Constantinople be vindicated um, as having been right, that's going to be difficult for them to swallow anyway. but to have added onto that another power grab, an attempt to uh, discredit uh, the, uh, Alexander's position as number two in the church mm-hmm. uh, is just too much. and And Leo the Great is furious and, and once again uh, refuses to accept the canon giving Constantine number two position. But the result is that the Alexandrians do not accept the deposition of Dioscarus and they they continue to accept him as uh, patriarch and it leads to eventually the creation of a completely separate uh, church, Mm -hmm. Coptic church, which splits off and refuses to accept the council of Chalcedon. Um, But it's pretty clear, basically, that they don't, they didn't, well they then quietly excommunicate Eutyches because at some point in, in, uh, in, in, in having getting a spare moment to reflect on things, he actually looks up what Eutyches actually believes, and Dioscorus is like, oh gosh, that's bad, better, better, better <laughs> condemn that. So, so the, so the, uh, the of, uh, of of Egypt are actually it's they there isn't really a substantive disagreement. It's purely a disagreement based on terminology. And uh, and and they recognise that Eutachiz is a heretic as well, in the end, grudgingly. Um uh, so, so the whole thing isn't necessary. And really the reason uh, the reason uh, to this day, the majority of Coptic Christians are not in communion with Rome, is because of a terminological dispute that is really kept going by Constantinople's attempt to steal second position in the church off the Alexandrians. Um, and, uh, in fact, I think if Thomas Aquinas had been around, which would have been difficult, you know, because <laughs> he's from the 13th century, but he has a very uh, a very helpful explanation of the way the hypostatic union works the uh, the incarnation, um, he says that uh, that in everything that's created, there's there's a real separate real distinction between uh, what it is and that it is. Okay, so between its essence and its existence, mm-hmm. and that's what makes a creature a creature. That it, it didn't have to exist. Mm-hmm. You could know what well, a phoenix. Or unicorn is, and yet there be no phoenixes and no unicorns, because there's a distinction between essence and mm-hmm. existence. Um, and uh, but in God, what makes God God is that He is subsistent being itself, as He says to Moses, "I am who am." Mm-hmm. Uh, so there is what God is. Is that God is, and that God is is what God is. Um, and so God cannot not exist, right? So, so God's uh, in the technical terminology, God's act of being. And his essence are identical. So Saint Thomas uh, says that um, that in in our Lord Jesus Christ incarnate, um, there is a human nature, a human whatness, right, mm-hmm. uh, and a divine nature, a divine whatness, a divine essence. Um, uh, but the divine essence is identical with the divine being. So the act of being, the existence of the human nature, is the divine nature. And that's how they screw together. You see what I mean? Uh, Not in the way Apollinaris (laughs) said. And really, that's probably what Saint Cyril and the Alexandrians were trying to say. It's just that it was all kind of horribly confused uh, in 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 these not yet perfectly adequate philosophical terminology, and um, and also uh, uh, tempers were extremely frayed because of Constantinople's attempt to steal Alexandria's position. Uh, and so that's why, although the Council of Chalcedon uh, reconciled and ended the, the well, it concluded the doctrinal controversy. Uh, nevertheless, it's um, it it didn't uh, it didn't reconcile the majority of Egyptian Christians, and uh, it became a big problem for the Roman Empire for hundreds of years afterwards. Because it never seemed to occur to the Roman emperors that just putting the bishop of Constantinople back in his place would probably have solved the problem. They spent centuries trying to come up with dodgy, ambiguous, ecumenical joint statements that just lead to new schisms and rows and, and which eventually has to be resolved by further ecumenical councils um, for the next two hundred years um, uh, because the, the impossibility of resolving this problem with the Egyptians and uh, if only people had known that a. The original work of was a forgery, and if only B. Constantinople had stopped trying to claim to be second in the church, then it might have been possible to uh, to. Uh, and if they'd had a little bit of Thomistic metaphysics to help them out, then it might have been possible to uh, resolve the problem. So I'm not normally Mister Cuddly Ecumenism but I have to say <laughs> that I feel very sorry for the Copts, and uh, and I and, and of course they have a terrible time of it. They're, they're only ten percent of the population in their own country now, um, and. Um, uh, and and I, I wish this could all be solved, and especially as I'm, I'm a Thomist, and um, uh, St Thomas's solution to this uh, this controversy is completely incompatible with Scotus's views on the incarnation. So one happy side effect of resolving it in this way would be to would be to in, indirectly condemn Scotus's <laughs> position on the incarnation. <laughs> it's a win-win situation. So. <laughs>
0: Well, Doc, appreciate it, man. Uh, so we'll try next week. I know we we skipped last week because of Good Friday. So I mean, yep. it's it, it's Good Friday. <laughs> so, it's the tritium. So yeah. we'll be back at you next week to continue with uh, what councils next?
1: Uh, Constantinople two and Constantinople three. There we go.
0: We well, <laughs> pre- appreciate everybody listening. If you have any questions, just uh, submit it in the uh, com box. Or email us. I'll try to get this live next time. I'm just working with a new product to see if this even works. Uh, But anyways, well, God bless everybody. Doctor, appreciate it. We'll talk soon and take care.
1: Bye-bye.